You're listening to the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church in Newton, North Carolina. By God's grace and for His glory, we're striving to be a community of disciples who are growing in trust, growing in love, and growing disciples. We pray you'll be encouraged to deeply love and trust our Savior Jesus Christ through this ministry. We hope you enjoy the sermon. same lines. It's humbling to be a creature designed by another. Your life directed by another. Your, your destiny held in the hand And what's it all for? Psalm 90 says, As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years. Or if due strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. And yet we know it matters. We know people matter. We know our lives matter. We know it matters whether or not that mother chooses life for her child. It matters whether the people, people we know, people we've never met, it matters whether or not they get COVID and die. It matters how we treat each other. It matters whether or not we feel each other's pain and we bear each other's burdens. It matters... Children, how you treat your brother and sister. Life matters. That's why we work. That's why we worry. That's why we love. There are things worth sweating for. And bleeding for. Your life matters. Even though your destiny is, is held in the hand of another, even though you are a creature created by another, your life matters. In fact, the Bible would say your life matters for the believer, especially because you were created by another. Creatures, creatures that matter. Humans matter because He made us. And for those who believe, we matter because He loves us. If you will open your Bible with me to Genesis chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 to give us a little bit of context. And then we'll skip down to verse 15 and read down to verse 19. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. 
And you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, You shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. Skipping down to verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come forth from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that your Holy Spirit would meet with us as we read and explore and seek to understand this text. Lord, I pray that we would get to hear the voice of God This text wouldn't be something outside of us, words on a page. But Lord, that you would speak this into our hearts, that we would believe. That we would honor you by trusting in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My outline this morning is uh, four points, very simple. First, I want us to see a long wait. Secondly, a long-awaited vindication. Long-suffering grace. And then, I hope that we can bring that all together and learn to wait. Notice with me first, a long wait. I think it's helpful to remember that when we read Bible stories, that these aren't just stories. These aren't tales that have been spun in order to inspire some sort of morality or even right thinking or belief in us. These stories that we are reading are history. They are the recounting of real human lives and God's designs to personally direct their lives. We've, we've considered this before, but it's worth repeating that the opening words of verse 1 of chapter 17 are meant to make us feel what Abraham and Sarah must have been feeling. Abram is 90.
years old. Sarah, verse 17 says, is 90 years old. God has first promised them a child 25 years ago. And yet the promised child has not come. We have to be reminded how heavily this weighed on them and perhaps especially on Sarai. She's given her husband no child. It must have weighed heavily. We know it weighed heavily or the fiasco of chapter 16 would have never happened. Imagine how desperate you would have to be to ever say the words that Sarah spoke in chapter 16, verse 2. So Sarah said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please, imagine that word. Please, go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. You have to be desperate, don't you? To beg your husband to take on another wife. Sarah's 90 years old. This has been a long wait. But notice what God wants to make clear. He's not only given Sarai a long wait. Finally, he's given Sarai a long-awaited vindication. Now, I don't want to read anything into the text that the Holy Spirit does not intend. But it is very interesting to me that God doesn't directly engage with Sarai. He's going to briefly address her in chapter 18. But here, this incredible revelation about Sarai is coming to Abraham. Notice in verse 15 what he says. He says, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Compare that with verse 5. When God says to Abram, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. It's interesting to me that God's first thought is not how the whole rest of the world is going to address Sarai. But how Abram is going to address her. Let's let's remember the first thing we learn about her way back in Genesis chapter 11. In verse 29, Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishka. Look at verse 30. Sarah was barren. She had no child. That was her identity. And it seems that that's the way that Abraham saw her. And it seems like God is saying, Abraham, you're not going to know her by that old identity anymore. She has a new name to signify, verse 16, that I will bless her and she shall be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come forth from her. 
And this name change is, is interesting because if you look it up, both Sarai and Sarah really mean the same thing. They both, they both have the idea of royalty. It could be translated as, as queen or, or princess. But it's very interesting that even though the meaning of the name doesn't change, what God does is he adds an H to her name, which is the exact same letter that he added to Abram's name to make it Abraham. And for the exact same reason. Therefore, I wonder if God is not only correcting how the world views Sarah and how Sarah views Sarah, but most importantly, how Abraham views Sarah. God's word in verse 15 placed the emphasis of the part of the sentence on the word by her. As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and indeed I will give you a son by her. The text literally reads, and indeed I will give by her to you a son. It's enough to bring to my mind uh, God's words in 1 Peter 3 where husbands are commanded to show honor to their wives. As fellow heirs of the grace of life. To try to imagine all of these years of being the wife of Abram. Or the wife of Abraham. He, he is the father of the Jewish nation. As time goes on, he literally will be the most famous person in all of Israel's history. He is the one under whom the blessing of God. He's going to receive the blessing of God. And it's through Abram that God is going to bless all the nations of the world. The one he's going to be a father of a multitude of nations. Imagine being his wife. And being barren. There had to be a ton of pressure. And shame. And deep feelings of uselessness. Look at chapter 15 verse 1. After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? Since I am childless. Can you imagine being the reason that the whole plan is stalled? Your husband would be great. Except for you. And so try to imagine Sarah longing for a son. Longing month after month, year after year. Watching time go by. Watching her body age. Watching her body pass the age when even having a baby was physically possible and then hearing of God speaking verse 15 and 16 about you. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come forth from her. Here's what I know. Now, now the baby doesn't come until chapter 21. So you've got to wait even more. 
But I know this, that when she finally holds that baby, her baby, in her arms, all the pain of the weight vanishes. Along with all the shame, the whole painful, humiliating weight is all worth it. And... It made everything she did to try to force her own way look really, really dumb. I want us to catch a fresh vision of God's kindness in this passage. Even though Sarah has acted so foolishly in the past, look at the honor that is being poured out on her. Not only does her name mean royalty, But royalty is going to come forth from her. I mean, just try to imagine that kind of promise. Like, you're you're going to be the mother of presidents. You're going to be the mother of rulers of nations. Imagine that honor coming from God to Sarah. That's a long awaited vindication. Next, I want you to notice a long-suffering grace. Let's just review. Let's see if you've been listening uh, to me for the last nine years or so. Anytime, this is for adults and for children. Anytime you open your Bible and you read a passage of Scripture, what, what kind of questions are great questions to ask of the passage? What does this text tell me about God? What does this text teach me about God? What do I need to learn and to bring into my heart that is true about God? It's a great question. Let's ask that question. What does this text teach us about God? I just encourage you, if you ask that question of this text, there is a feast in this text. How does God prove His power in this text? Look over to chapter 18, verse 11. It says, Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. (laughs) It's not happening. It's not possible. It's not physically possible for her to have children. You need to know this about God. This text teaches us this about God. Not only do we serve a God who has all power at His disposal, there is nothing too difficult for Him. You need to know this about Him. This is His style. When God wants to do something amazing, He... In such a way that nobody can say, well, there is a rational answer. He wants everybody to know that they know that they know that He is the one doing it. This baby is not a coincidence. This baby is not some freak of nature that you could read about in National Geographic or or the New England Journal of Medicine and they'd be able to say, well, this is just an anomaly of the normal course of human pathophysiology. No, this this is God doing His work in such a way that there is no explanation other than God did it. 
Now, I don't want to jump to application too early. But I do hope that in your mind, that there is your problems, your pain, your disappointments, the things that you wish were different about the world and about your family and about you, I hope that those things are beginning to come to mind. And they're coming face to face with the truth about God. Can I just remind you, Genesis 18 verse 14, God asked a life-changing question. Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? Psalm 115.3, but our God is in the heavens. He does what? Whatever He pleases. Jesus talks about this passage. He at least alludes to it in Matthew 3 when Jesus says that Sarah having a baby actually wasn't all that impressive. Because He said if God wanted to raise up sons of Abraham, He could have done it out of rocks. He doesn't even need Sarah to participate. There's something else. I want you to notice God's tender, patient grace. Look at verse 16. God says to Abraham, I will bless her. And indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And he said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No. Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Some people read the words no and but in verse 19 as yes indeed. And the idea... With that interpretation is that, is that Abraham fell on his face and it was like he was, he was overcome with this, this laughter of joy and excitement. And in verse 18 that what God is doing is, is saying, God, I know you're going to bless me. I think this is fantastic, but, but don't forget Ishmael. And then, and then in verse 19, God is saying, indeed, Sarah, your wife is going to bear a son. I think that's a stretch. I think it's easier to read the text just as it is written. In, in verse 16, this incredible promise, I will give you a son by her, and the kings of peoples will come from her. Then Abram fell on his face in wonder and excitement. Uh, I think along with a hearty dose of, come on now, is that really going to happen? Will a child be born to a man 100 years old and Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? And then in verse 18, I think that, I think that Abram has just given God an easy way out. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Solve this thing with Ishmael. Let Ishmael be the one through whom the promises come. 
I think Abram's overwhelmed. I think he's blown away. I think it seems too good to be true. Verse 19. But God said, no. But Sarah, your, Sarah, your wife will bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. I love how patient God is. How patient God is with Abram in this text. This psalmist says it well. The Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He is mindful that we are but dust. In fact, I want you to look at how the Holy Spirit chose to emphasize what he chose to emphasize about this exchange. Look over to Romans chapter 4. And hold your place in Genesis 17. We'll come back there. And then I want you to hold your place in Romans chapter 4 because we're going to come back here in just a second. But, but I want you to notice how the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit chose to emphasize about this, this exchange between God and Abram. Look at verse 18 of Romans 4. In hope against hope, he believed, speaking of Abraham, so that he might become a father of many nations. According to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect, to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. The one who makes us wait is awfully patient with those who struggle. To wait. Let's put all this together. We have a God who has all power to do what? Whatever He wants to do. Anything that He pleases. And we have a God who has a heart of tender, patient, gracious compassion for His people. He loves us. He loves His children. Therefore, let's learn to wait. Let's learn to wait in faith. This world's a hard place to live. On this side of Eden, it's hard to be, to be a creature. We can't just do whatever we want to do. Not only are we not allowed to do whatever we want to do, we don't have the ability to do whatever we want to do. We are plagued by so many limitations. Every single one of us live under circumstances that, that drastically affect us, that we didn't ask for, that we don't want, and so many of which we simply cannot change 
This is why so many people take their own lives. This is why way too many people turn to violence. This is why way too many people are enslaved to depression. And just a general feeling of hopelessness. This is why we have way too much conflict in our homes between brothers and sisters and between parents and children and between husbands and wives. This is why there's way too much conflict in the church. The the book of James asks a question, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You, you want things that you can't have, and so you fight in order to get them. It's where we all live. With, 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 with longings. We all have deep longings. We all have pain, deep disappointments, deep regrets, deep, unfulfilled desires. There are things in our lives that we so desperately wish would change. This is why we need to know God. This is why you need to open your Bible and ask the question, what does this text teach me about God? This is why when God reveals Himself and He shows you what it is like, this is why you've got to take it to heart. This is why we need to know God. We need to know that He's mighty. We need to know that He's able to help us. And we need to know in our souls that He is good. That He is wise. That He is kind. And we need to remember that He's made promises to every single one of us who believes. Let's, Let's think back to the promises. Genesis 17, verse 48. So hold your place there in Romans 4. And let's go back to Genesis 17. Look at verse 4. And let's just be reminded of the promises. Here's a good summary. As for me, God says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you. Kings will come come forth from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of all your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. Remind me Who are these promises made to? Made to His saints. You can say they're made to Abraham. They're made to His descendants. The Bible says they're ultimately made to Christ. And the Bible says that they are made to His saints. Galatians 3 verse 29. And if you belong to Christ... 
then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. There is nothing that you want. Now these may sound long ago and far away. I just want to remind you and bring you into reality that there is nothing that you could ever want that would top these promises. He's offering nothing short of paradise where God Himself will be our God and we will be His people. But guess where we are right now? Here's the answer. We are in the exact same place where Abraham and Sarah lived so much of their lives. We're waiting. Look back to Romans 4. Let's set the stage. Verse 13. For the promise to Abraham... Or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world. That's the promise. A new heaven and a new earth where God is going to reign. Where God is going to rule without opposition. Where we are going to live under him as his people. Where he himself will be our God. That's the promise. And when you notice that the promise is made to Abraham and to his descendants. The point that Paul's making in Romans 4 and 5 is, is that it's, it's not about having a Jewish bloodline. It's not about trying to keep the Jewish Old Testament law that makes one a descendant of Abraham. But rather, it's the sharing of Abraham's faith. Look at verse 13. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be the heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Verse 16, for this reason it is by faith, in order that it might be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, not only to the Jews, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations, I have made you. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become the father of many nations. According to what had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him. As righteousness. We've covered all that. And I pray that it's clear. But now it starts to get really good. Look at verse 23. Now. Not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him. But for our sake also. To whom it will be credited. As those who believe in him. Who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgression and was raised because of our justification. Therefore, 
Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. See, we live exactly where Abraham and Sarah lived, with amazing promises on one hand, promises of paradise, promises of forgiveness, so much so that we can live forever in that paradise, with God as our God and us as His people. But on the other hand, we're holding a whole list of reasons inside and out why it feels like that's never going to happen. Right? And so with Abraham, we are tempted to fall on our face and laugh. Is there any way that I could be forgiven? Is there any way that this void in my heart could be filled? Is there any way that these longings, this pain, these disappointments could be healed? Is there any way that everything that I have ever done wrong could be completely erased? Is there any way that this world, is there any way that I could be fixed? And just like Abraham, we are beckoned to believe in hope against hope. To right now exult, it says, chapter 5, verse 2, in the hope that one day we're not only going to get to live in the presence of the glory of God, we are going to share the glory of God. Jesus was delivered over for our sins, but He was raised to prove, to prove to the world, to prove to Satan, to prove to our own hearts that we have been justified, declared perfect in the sight of our God. And look at what happens. The longings, the pain, the trouble, the disappointment, the waiting becomes not merely a, I don't want to say merely, not a curse to endure, but tools of God that we gladly embrace. Look at verse 3. And not only this, but we also exult. We revel in. We celebrate what? Tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. There are so many things about my life that I wish that I could change. I'm in pain today. But not just physical pain. It's been nine years. I don't feel like I've had 
ever really escape the cloud of the pain of my mother's death. I miss my mama and my granddaddy and my grandmother and my brother. And I carry the pain of that loss. And then on top of that, I have so many regrets in my life. So many things I wish I could undo. So many things I wish I could unsay. I have things I wish I could change about my body. And as I age, that list is getting longer. I have a long list of things I wish I could change about me and the way that I think and my personality. And this might sound silly, but I just wish things could be easier. That's why I need to embrace the God who reveals himself in Genesis 17. In hope against hope God let me believe don't let me waver in unbelief but through the pain let me grow strong in faith and give you glory so so much so that I stop wallowing in disappointment over what I don't have and by faith exalt Celebrate tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance proven character. And proven character, hope. Because hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within my heart through the Holy Spirit who reminds me of the cross of Jesus Christ where all of my sin was paid for, reminds me of a tomb that's empty that proves that I've been forgiven and that I'm on my way to heaven. That Jesus was raised to secure all the promises of God for me. I know that's what I need. You're... You know what he wants? He, he wants you to acknowledge your pain. Just notice in Romans 5, he doesn't say forget about your tribulation. He wants you to know your tribulation so well, but he wants you to come to a place where you celebrate those tribulations. Because though you hold your pain in one hand, on the other hand, you have the promises of God. You have the Savior dying on a cross and being raised from the dead to secure these promises for you. He wants you to trust that all those promises are true. Romans 15 verse 13 is a fitting prayer 
for us to pray for ourselves, to pray for each other. But the God of hope would fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope as you wait by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are faced with so many temptations to think wrongly. On one hand, to give in to despair. To come to a place where we say, none of this matters. Life doesn't matter. People don't matter. None of this matters. It's all just a mess and it's going to be a mess. On the other hand, people want to tempt us to just, just think positive. Just to be positive. Not to think about all the things that are hurt. Not to think about all the things that are wrong. Not to think about cities being burned down and people all around us dying. Just think positive. Father, I pray instead you would give us grace to believe. You would let us embrace the God who controls our destiny. Who has given us the gift of tribulations. Because He cares about our character. And He wants us to hope in Him. Well, we do pray that Jesus would come quickly. But Father in heaven, until He does, I pray that we would be a people who trust Him. And we would not be a people with our head hung down looking at the ground. But Father, we would be a people who hope in the promises of God that He is going to keep Every single one. And I pray that would fuel joy in the midst of our pain. I pray, Father, if it would fuel evangelism. That we would want people to know the hope that is offered them in Christ. Father, I pray it would fuel a people who work diligently to see the world reconciled to Jesus. I pray that you would give us grace to trust you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the First Baptist Newton Podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website at newtonfbc.org. We'll see you next time.